Well, it's good to see all of y'all today, especially if you're a guest. I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. No, you're welcome to anything that we have going on in the church. We'd love uh, to have you in attendance. Uh, we're getting ready. We're kind of getting into the Easter season. Easter's about six weeks away. And, and uh, I remember uh, back in my last church, uh, there was one year on Easter Sunday, uh, one of the churches in our area uh, was telling everybody, they were advertising, they were going to have the world's largest Easter egg hunt. And I thought, that's pretty impressive. Can you consider how big the world is? And how many churches and schools in America alone, all over our country, we're going to have Easter egg hunts. And in our county, in North Texas, we were going to have the biggest one of all. That was impressive. What made it more impressive was this. Uh, they, they, they were giving away stuff in plastic eggs, you know, and, and they were going to give away a $100 bill. So one of those kids who came, you know, Easter Sunday, and Easter's a big time. Man, everybody, Easter's a Christ, the biggest attended time of the year. People come, praise God. If they don't come any other time, they come Easter. They were going to attract them all with the promise that one of those kids' lives would be turned around by getting that $100 bill. Now, we were having an Easter egg hunt at our church, too. Only we were giving candy away. And we were giving candy away from the past Halloween. You know, we were, we were unloading that stuff. We were good stewards of God's stuff. We were getting me that extra candy. We were unloading that stuff. And, you know... This is the thing. Easter is a time when lives can be changed. Easter is a time we celebrate something wonderful. And so for the next seven Sundays, uh, we're going to be focusing on Jesus in a series about Jesus on the cross, the seven words of Christ. When he, when he hung on the cross, Jesus made seven statements. And those statements reveal something about the, the nature of, of Jesus and, and, and the function and purpose of the whole a cross event. Uh, and, and, and in those seven statements, actually, I'm going to give them to you real quick. Three of them are found in the passage we're going to be in today, Luke 23. Three are found in John 19, and one of the statements is going to be found in uh, Matthew chapter 27 and Mark 15. Between, between 9 o'clock in the morning and noon, Jesus made three statements. The first one found in Luke 23, where we'll be in a few minutes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second statement, also in Luke 23, uh, when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then in John 19, we see the third statement of Christ, when he said to his mother, woman, behold, thy son. And to John, he said, behold, the woman. Then around the hour of 3 o'clock, he made four statements really quick. Uh, the one found in Matthew and Mark, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then in John 19, he says, I thirst. Then again in John 19, he says, it is finished. Come back to Luke 23. We see him say, Father, into your hands, I give, I commend my spirit. And so today we're going to come to the very first thing Jesus said. Uh, and we're going to talk about the forgiveness, which is found in uh, Luke chapter uh, 23, verse 33 through 39. And here it is. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there were also uh, an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And so here, here's the thing that I want you to see from, from the passage today and get from this message. The reason Jesus died on the cross is so that our sins may be forgiven. It's just that simple. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, it brings salvation, yes, but here's, here's the key to salvation. 
Jesus died on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven. And so, we're going to begin the message today, and I'm going to share with you that the cross reveals God's desire, Jesus' purpose, and our need, which is forgiveness. The cross reveals the desire of God, the purpose of Jesus, and what our basic need is, which is forgiveness. Now, when you, when you, come, when you come to take the Bible in, in its entirety, and, you know, and, and sometimes, especially if you don't grow up in a church, or if you did, but you didn't attend much, and, and some parts of the Bible are kind of intimidating, hard to understand, and the Old Testament parts can be a little cloudy, you know, difficult. What you need to realize when you come to the Bible is that there's, there's, there's some broad themes that have come through it. Uh, when you come to the book of Genesis, and you see there at the very beginning, Adam and Eve had this great relationship with each other and this great relationship with God. There were simply no problems because there was no sin. Then in chapter 3, of Genesis, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, sin then begins to do damage to the human experiment. And the human experience, I say, well, to be human then, sin creeps into that context. And so the real question is, what is God going to do about sin? And when you come to the Bible, and when, when there's like three or four just overarching themes. And one of the key overarching themes that you see in the Bible is that God is dealing with our sin. In fact, if you come when you come to the Old Testament, what would help you a great deal, and when you kind of get bogged down in all the stuff that's in hard, all the hard parts to read, is that ultimately in the Old Testament, God is dealing with the sin of humanity. And ultimately, God is going to deal with that sin at the cross. I mean, Jesus has is, is always been God's plan. Sometimes you may hear someone preach, people say that, you know, that, that God sent Jesus because that was all that was left. He tried everything else, and, you know, Jesus was kind of God's plan B. Jesus was never God's alternate plan. From the very, very beginning, God always intended on sending Jesus. That was always going to be the way he did it. I've said this to you many, many times, and I will say it many times more. The Old Testament is a book that promises something. The New Testament is a book that fulfills that promise, and that promise relies around Jesus. And to understand the revelation of God, how God reveals himself to us, is to understand that he most clearly reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. I and the Father are one. That's how we understand who God is. And to really understand God is to see Jesus at the cross. All four of the Gospels deal in great detail with the trial of Jesus. Luke is no exception. Uh, But once the trial is done... They deal rather quickly with the actual crucifixion. Luke tells us, as we read a while ago, that they led him to a place called the skull. In the Greek, the skull is our word for cranium, basically. Uh, Sometimes called Golgotha, sometimes called Calvary. It's the place where they crucified it. It probably had some resemblances to a skull in some capacity. And there it tells us that they crucified him between two criminals. Now, we always, not always, but most of the time we talk about Jesus being crucified between two thieves. I do the same thing. Thieves is kind of our vernacular. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, these guys weren't common thieves. These, These guys weren't being crucified for breaking and entering or for armed robbery or stuff like that. The word that Luke uses, criminal, is a word that means evil doer. Uh, it, it, it's a compound of two Greek words, one whose energy is towards evil. Earlier in Luke, uh, just a few verses earlier, actually, um, when Jesus is on trial, uh, the people have an opportunity to call for the release of Jesus. And uh, the, the Roman, I mean, excuse me, the Jewish leaders uh, took a small crowd of people, it was a very small crowd, 
Uh, and, and when it was time to release someone instead of Jesus, they called for the release of Barabbas. And Luke tells us that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist. He committed murder was his way of life. Insurrection is the idea of one leading a rebellion against Rome. He was to be crucified. There were three men to be crucified that day. One of them was Barabbas. When they called for the release of Barabbas, then Jesus took the place of Barabbas. And, and to understand that, that this crucifixion was reserved for, for the worst of the worst. Now, if a slave who rebelled against an owner or sought to overthrow his owner could be crucified. There was lots of slavery in the Roman world. Rome itself was probably half slaves, the, the city of Rome. And so they wanted to curb that. And then people who committed treason, who rebelled against Rome. Uh, the, way I, the best way I know to put this, I guess, is if, if you can remember back, if you're not too young, you can remember back to what happened in 9-11. Uh, and right after 9-11, the, the terrorists and the people who were the terrorists and where they came from, the way Americans felt about them was the way the Romans felt about insurrectionists. And by the way, it's the way, get this, that the Jewish leaders felt about Jesus. That's how they viewed him. He was to be crucified. Crucifixion was probably the cruelest form of death that the Romans had. And, and the people that day, as, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about crucifixion, they didn't have to explain it. The people understood the cruelty of crucifixion. For all the detail that Luke goes into, and, and, and the other writers as well, the gospel writers about the trial, they say very little about the actual crucifixion. I can remember growing up, and even as I got older, if I could hear preachers occasionally, and even today, occasionally I hear preachers preach on the crucifixion of Christ, sometimes they go into great detail, elaborately describe the cruelty, the torture of it. And I, I tend not to do that. If you want to know about all that stuff, you can go research it on the Internet, and you can find out all about it. It was, though, a very, it was an unbelievably cruel way to die. It, crucifixion could linger for days. And this is how they killed Jesus, who was innocent, by the way. This is how they put him to death, as the worst kind of criminal, as a doer of evil, even though he was completely innocent. And as they were crucifying him, this is, this is critical, as they were doing that, Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Literally, you know, they, they were taking the nails and, and they would drive them right here into his wrist. A lot of the pictures have it in his hand. The nails didn't go into his hand. The hand couldn't support it. It had fallen off. It, it, there's a place right between these two bones. I, I can't remember. It's the big bone and the little bone, all right? Now, I know afterwards somebody's going to want to come tell me what those two bones are. Save it. I, I, I don't care. The bones, big and little. There's a hole in there. And they put the nail in there. And as they were doing that, as they were doing the process of crucifying him, he kept saying, in he said more than once, Father, forgive them. That, of all the things he said, this is the one he said more than once. In the Greek, saying over and over is what it means. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now, he's calling upon his father, that personal closeness to Jesus. And he's saying to forgive. The idea of forgiveness is to release. It's, it's to let go of. Um, it's as if you grasp you know, a, a pet, and the pet wants to get, go away, and you open your arm, hands up, and the pet is It's to let go. It's the concept of not holding accountable or not holding against someone. So when it comes to sin, it's the idea of not holding the guilt of sin against someone. It doesn't remove the fact that they did it, but it removes the accountability. So to be forgiven of sin is to be forgiven of the accountability or the guilt that goes with it. 
If a human, when somebody does something wrong to us, we are called upon to forgive them whether they seek it or not. We, we are called upon to let go of it and not hold it against them. And so Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them. And, and then he said, they don't know what they are doing. The idea of no is to understand. They don't comprehend the gravity of what's going on. And so that kind of brings up the question, who is it that he is forgiving and calling upon God to forgive? And what is the sin that's being forgiven? Well, to understand this a little bit, you just kind of need to understand what he's not saying. Uh, many times, you've heard it, you've probably read it, uh, it's popular to say that Jesus was calling upon God to forgive humanity for sin because we as humans put Jesus on the cross. Now, and I understand that Jesus died for our sins, and I get that 100%. Uh, but the concept isn't that Jesus was asking God to no longer hold all of humanity's sin against them. See, that's, that goes opposite of Scripture because, you know, man, sin is the rebellion against God. Man has rebelled against God, and we're held accountable for that. And because we're held accountable for that, we're out of relationship with God. So God, in forgiving us, the reason he sent Jesus is so that there's a means of forgiveness. But as we will see in a few minutes, we still have to ask for that forgiveness. There's this thing called repentance, of acknowledging our wrongdoing. If Jesus was just saying, God, forgive everyone for all their sins, don't let, hold any of that against them, it runs counter to the concept of repentance. So he's not asking for the forgiveness of all humanity. Because he says they don't know what they're doing, He's not, as some people claim, he's talking about the forgiveness of Caiaphas, the high priest, or, or Pilate, the Roman governor. He's not talking about that. They knew what they were doing. Caiaphas wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted him crucified. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, and they still had him put to death. So it, it helps us to look at the people around Jesus. He, he's most likely, the thing that he's talking about is the crucifixion itself, the people who were killing him at that moment. We know that there were four categories of groups of people with Jesus. One, it was just the crowd. And, and, and the crowd was just, would just be normally the crowd that would show up for a crucifixion. The Jewish people, they hated crucifixion. They would be appalled by it. People would be sympathetic, especially when it's Jesus. A few days earlier, this is on Friday, Good Friday. On Sunday, before he enters Jerusalem, the crowds are welcoming. Hosanna, blessed is he who's come in the name of the Lord. He is the Messiah. So they were celebrating Jesus. That, that is, they talk about a crowd that was, Jesus was put to death saying, crucify, crucify him at the trial. That was a very small number. That wasn't like thousands of people. That was just a very few people that were, that were basically in conspiracy, I guess, with, with the Roman leaders. I mean, the Jewish leaders. The, the people, as Jesus was led to the place of the, uh, the, the skull, the crucifixion, they would have lined the roads. And it would have been people who were sympathetic to Jesus. People who would have been, you know, wanting the Messiah. The crowds wanted Jesus to be this Messiah. So in all likelihood, they're not the ones. A few of them may have participated in what follows, but they're not the ones he's talking about. The other group there were, were Jewish leaders. Uh, some of the leadership of the Jews had come to experience and to really celebrate the death of Jesus. Luke tells us that they were jeering him, that they were sneering, and they were, they were calling, calling out, he saved himself. I mean, he saved others. Let's see if he can save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Now, the idea of, of, of jeering or sneering is they were mocking him. They were ridiculing him. They were making fun of Jesus. And the taunts that they were giving to Jesus was as he was on the cross. And, and, and in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Hedersheim, 
uh, said that they probably didn't even look upon Jesus at the time. But they were just mocking him. And, and the mocking and the, te- and, and the sneering as they wouldn't even look upon him. As they had recognized that Jesus saved. The idea of saving is to deliver. Usually used of a spiritual sense, but even of a physical sense. They recognized that he healed people. They may have even realized that he raised people from the dead. So they were saying, he has the ability to save others. Let's see if he has the power to save himself. If, and the idea of if is kind of a mocking, it's kind of being sarcastic. If he really is the Christ of God. They understood that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. If he's the chosen one, let him come off. And there's another group. I let him save himself, come off the cross. There was another group, the soldiers. The soldiers were just the Roman guys. And these guys were pagans. And to each criminal, there was usually assigned about four soldiers. So there'd be about 12 there, plus a general group to keep people away. And the centurion, about 20 or so, maybe more. And these soldiers were used to death. They saw death all the time. They, this, this was their life. So they understood what was going on. But they also began to pick up in, in, in the process. It would not be unusual for the, the ones killing the Jews, the Romans. And remember, most of the guys who were crucified were rebels against Rome. They, their heart's desire were to kill the Roman soldiers. So we not be surprised that the Roman soldiers were also mocking him. And they saw a sign above him that said, the king of the Jews. And so they were ridiculing him. So you're the king of the Jews. Well, if you're really the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? So they were also mocking him. Then we're told there were also a couple of criminals with him. Mark tells us that both criminals initially began to mock Jesus. Luke says that one was mocking him, and this is what he said. Save yourself. Now, you're the Messiah. Save yourself. And oh, by the way, save us as well. Now, you need to get this picture. So in all this chaos that's going on, here are these four groups of people, the crowd who are mourning for the most part. Then there's three groups who are mocking and jeering and making fun of Jesus. And the temptation all of them throw at Jesus is, why don't you come off that cross? In Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation experience of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Satan comes to tempt him. And he tempts him in three ways. He says, you know, turn stone into bread. Feed the masses. They'll follow you. Jump off the temple. God will save you. The masses will follow you. Or just bow down and worship me. I'll release my claim to the masses and they'll follow you. This is what Satan was saying. Jesus, you've come so that people will follow you. People will follow you if you will do something to shortcut the cross. See, Satan didn't care if people followed Jesus. He just didn't want people to have their sins forgiven and be saved. He didn't want them to become the disciples, the true followers of Christ. With the masses thought something great about Jesus, he didn't care. He never wanted Jesus to go to the cross. So at the very beginning, Satan was trying to shortcut the cross. When you come to the cross, understand, that is not Satan wanting Jesus to go to the cross. We hear that a lot. Listen, there's a lot of evil involved. You know, Satan, we're told Satan entered the heart of Jesus to betray him. And, and Caiaphas and Pilate, all they did were because of Satan. Satan wanted Jesus dealt with. But he didn't want the cross to be successful. He didn't want the resurrection. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, not my will be done, but yours. What was the will of the Father? The will of the Father was for Jesus to pay for the sins of mankind. To pay for the sins of mankind, Jesus had to go to the cross so that he would die, so that he'd be buried, so that God would raise him from the dead. The temptation that was there was for Jesus to use his power to come off the cross. You've got to understand that. Satan wanted Jesus to come off the cross 
so that there would be no possibility of forgiveness. And so all these groups are tempting Jesus. Jesus certainly had the power. And could you imagine what happened? He said, all right, here it comes. And he'd have come off that cross. Man, it'd have been crazy. You don't think people would have started fighting? The masses would have gone wild. He truly is the Messiah. I mean, the Jewish leaders would have had to have recognized, all right, this, this, is, this is a game changer. I mean, he's coming off the cross. The soldiers would have been, whoa. I mean, the thieves would have been going, hey, finally, now he can save us too. It would have been unbelievable. Jesus could have done that. But if Jesus were to save himself, he could not save us. Our sins would not have been paid for. And God desired to provide forgiveness, and it wouldn't have happened. I mean, Jesus couldn't save himself and us. He couldn't demonstrate to them his power and come off that cross, and at the same time to provide the forgiveness of our sins. Way back in Isaiah, that old prophet, Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13 through Isaiah 53. The prophet foretells that the Messiah had to suffer and pay a great price. Why? So we could be forgiven. If Jesus didn't pay that price, we couldn't be forgiven. You see, God's desire, Jesus' purpose in man's need was for forgiveness. Which brings us then to this. The nature of forgiveness. What does it mean then to truly be saved? If you can picture just in some way the chaos of a crucifixion. There are the people wailing and crying over those loved ones. And here are the Messiah being put to death. There are the, the soldiers who are doing their job. And, and putting men to death who are cursing them. And spitting on them and calling down all sorts of, of just curses and vengeance from their gods or from the Jews KC God. And then there are the Roman leaders, these men who should be opposing crucifixion, who are celebrating in all that chaos. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, Father, in this moment, don't hold this act against these people. Now, whatever else they may be guilty of, and at some point they're going to face God. When they face you, don't hold this against them. See, we're we're in rebellion against God. We have rebelled against God. Our sin is held accountable to us unless some sort of payment can be made. And Jesus is saying, whatever they're held accountable for, don't let it be this. And herein lies the picture of salvation. It's the forgiveness and not holding us accountable for our sin against God. See, this sin was against Jesus. They were crucifying an innocent man. He said, don't hold it against him. And that is the picture of God in forgiving us, not holding our rebellion against us. So Jesus calls upon God Father to forgive the crucifiers. You cannot separate Jesus from forgiveness. It is his nature, and it is his purpose to forgive. The story of Jesus is ultimately a story of forgiveness. See, at the heart of salvation, 
is the fact that we have to be forgiven. Is that our rebellion against God needs to be dealt with. And that's why Jesus came. To deal with our sin. To deal with our rebellion. To pay that price. So that we could experience the release from all the wrongdoing. From all the evil. From all the sin in our life. And it's there for all of us. But here's what you got to realize. Forgiveness is not cheap, and it is not automatic. It costs Jesus his life, and it will cost you yours as well. See, sometimes we get the idea that he went to the cross, and because he died for our sins, that all of a sudden, all of our sins are covered. Some people even look at this event and say, well, see, Jesus, they didn't have to ask for forgiveness. Jesus just forgave. Well, yeah, Jesus always forgives. It's like we're supposed to forgive other people. We don't, people don't have to ask us for our forgiveness. We forgive them. That's not the key. The key is the fact that Jesus asked the Father to forgive. Why did he ask the Father to forgive this particular act? Because God would not have forgiven them without them asking. This is a unique case where Jesus is saying, they don't have to ask you, God, for the forgiveness of this sin. Just forgive them. Why? Because forgiveness is not automatic. It's not something that's cheapened by the fact that everybody's automatically forgiven. You see, our forgiveness costs Jesus his life. And our forgiveness will cost us our life. Jesus came, Mark says, very beginning of his book, his gospel, Mark chapter 1, preaching, repent, and believe the gospel. Repentance and belief go hand in hand. They're inseparable in that sense. Because repentance... It's what brings forgiveness. Therefore, that repentance is necessary for forgiveness. So forgiveness and faith are inseparable. You're not going to be forgiven apart from faith. You've got to take your life and say, God, here is my life. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting you with my life. And that's what it means to have faith. See, the the very first thing we do when we have faith is say, Jesus, I want you to save me. And I want you to save me from my sin. Because it's sin that separates us from God. We need saving from our sin. And to be saved from our sin, we have to ask for it. And in the process of asking, we're making a commitment of our life to God through Jesus. And everyone can experience that. See, the thing is this, forgiveness is always available, but it is seldom experienced. Just for a moment. Two thieves hung next to Jesus. Two criminals, only one experienced forgiveness because only one asked for it. There was a bunch of Roman soldiers. Luke tells us after the last words of Christ where he said, Father, into your hands I give my spirit, that the Roman centurion began to praise God. Saying this was an innocent man. The other gospel said this was the son of God. One Roman soldier basically came to a place of faith. All of them experienced that. All of those Jewish religious leaders experienced what Jesus was offering. And from what we know, none of that group ever experienced it. The forgiveness. Why? Because they didn't have faith. With Easter coming up, there will be a lot of people here about the message of salvation. The cross. And the opportunity to be saved will be open to all of them. But they won't all experience it. 
Because they won't all seek to trust Jesus and ask for forgiveness for their sin. They cost Jesus his life. And while we can't earn our forgiveness, and we can't do enough good things to offset it, we still have a price to pay. We have to take our life and give it to Christ. And when we do that, we experience the release of sin. So many times when I'm with people, when they give their lives to Christ, they look at me and they say something to the effect of, I feel forgiven. My burden has been released. The guilt is gone. I am at peace. The very last person recently that I've talked to when they gave their life to Christ said, I have peace with God. Why? Because the sin has been forgiven. So have you ever asked God to forgive you for your sin? Have you ever asked God to release you from the rebellion of your life? Have you ever asked God to save you through faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, why not? It's available for you. All you have to do is give your life to Christ. We're about to have a a moment, a time of what we call invitation. And I invite you to give your life to Jesus, to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin by trusting him with your life. Turning away from your sin and repentance. Admitting your sin and your fault. And giving your life to Christ and asking him to forgive you. And if you've never done that, you can come talk to one of us and, and, and seek that forgiveness. You may be a follower of Jesus, a true Christian. And yet there is some sin in your life right now that you struggle with. And maybe you want to come and get forgiveness for that sin. Maybe you want to pray for someone else or pray for some other need in your life or come and join the church. It really doesn't matter. Here's here's the thing. You have the opportunity to leave this place today forgiven. Why would you not experience that forgiveness? Why would you not let Christ release you from that burden? Why would you not ask Christ, to save you. And so, Lord, we praise you and thank you for Christ on the cross. For it is Christ on the cross that brings the forgiveness of our sin. But, Lord, it is not a cheap forgiveness because it cost him his life. It is not an automatic forgiveness. We still have to give our life to you. So I ask in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would come to the forgiveness that you provide by trusting Christ as our Savior and leave here today forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here to greet you.